Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. And today's podcast, we are talking about the ultimate question right now, which is a very important one and one that we get asked a lot. People, members of our inner circle are asking it. We hear it all the time. So we want to have a discussion. The discussion is, do you build or buy? Now, this is something that is an, you know, there's some periods in time that I think it's very clear on what you should do. And we can talk about the clarity, what makes that clear, clear and what makes that not. There's also things like risk that I think there might be some misconceptions about that we need to discuss. Um, but we're going to dive into all of that. Um, excited to have you here, Connor. Yeah, excited to be here, dude. Yeah, just hanging out, hanging out, doing. What, our was use. the last one you did without me, or was it the one uh, before? You know, that? I can't remember when Kaylee and I jacked your podcast, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, Brandon Turner got you back by uh, stealing your That's right. podcast. He, stole, he took and, over, <laughs> stealing, uh, stealing meetings and all That's kinds right. of things going on over here. Oh, well, stealing the studio. He didn't steal your podcast, but the studio. He uh, took it over. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, that was a cool. That was a cool episode. Talked a lot about uh, what people need to be looking at um, investment wise and, and getting into storage and all kinds of just tons of just general good information as far as analyzing markets and uh, going in and obviously getting getting a great deal and not getting a, a garbage deal. So, well, and you know, it's funny because when we're looking at all this stuff, honestly, I was wondering when I started this podcast, I was like, you know what? I wonder if I'm going to run out of things to talk about. But things change <laughs> yeah. so much, and storage is so dynamic, and the projects that we're doing and the opportunities that we're having, it's just like every month, it's there's something new. And for people that are just beginning, it's almost like you just can't you can't talk about it enough. You can't share it enough. It comes down to like this dynamic nature of investing and how it's not linear, right? You like, you know, I talk about this a lot, linear learning versus dynamic learning, linear learning. You're reading the book, you write it down. It's very clear. It shows the past. It shows the results. Yeah. Step one, step, step two. one, step two, step three and four, <laughs> right? Rainbows and sunshine. Exactly. And dynamic wor uh, learning is not like that. Dynamic learning is a process that has lots of different inputs um, that need to be taken into consideration. And right now, I think for a lot of people, it's very confusing on which way they should go. And uh, I am a big believer in the more information that I can take in, the better, because I can pick what is applicable to me and take it out. So I, I think that this topic 
is a good one. It's a good conversation to be having. Uh, like all of these things, you know, some some of the things we talk about are just like fundamentals that just don't really change, you know, that we have either through certain aspects of operations or certain higher level things. But on the execution side, a lot of this, you're just navigating into markets, um, your the economy, demand, what's happening, because it's within that messy scenario that you find the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we make our real money because we, we we put to work s- clear strategies in unclear markets and unclear times, but that can also make it hard. So when we're thinking through this idea of should we build, should we buy, uh, it, it probably pre- we probably need to preface this with uh, talking about what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk a little bit on the acquisition side, and then why don't you cover your side, which is the development side. So we're closing right now on a two-facility portfolio. Um, then we have under contract um, it, it, two more. One more under contract. We're trying to get another one under contract. These are existing that we use our traditional process of value add. We're coming in, we're fixing it up, we're improving operations, um, we're implementing technology, policies, procedures, all that stuff that we talk about all the time on this podcast, which will never, ever go out of style. Mm -hmm. So we'll keep talking about that stuff. Um, So we've got those right now in the works as far as acquisitions go. We are close on a few more that we're trying to nail down. And really on that process, it's it's just big time um, underwriting and understanding what's happening with that asset right now. So yeah, no, you're, you're so right. And some of those things as cut and dry and as fundamental as so much of that stuff is, I know in one of the markets where we just get picked up these two facilities, uh, the market, there was just massive discrepancies. Well, not was, there are massive discrepancies in the marketplace and, and doing that solid underwriting and really understanding what the revenue drivers are for those facilities and what's going on and how you running a potential asset could um, make or break that asset. And if you can do a better job, if you can get rates that are low, up high, all that stuff that we are always talking about, and those are keys for sure. And um, I mean, all said and done, we have with our with everything developments, conversions, acquisitions. All said and done, we've got was it close to a million square feet under contract right now? Which yeah, I mean, right, right about there. Just in the yeah. past year or so, yeah. Uh, despite all these different things going on throughout 2020 and 2021 so far, uh, I mean, it's been a huge, huge past year and a half ish almost at this point for mm-hmm. us, which has been great, and we're doing all of it. And I think that's one of the things, as soon as you mentioned the topic today of, of building, building or buying, it reminded me of, of how you talk a lot, AJ, about letting your money decide for you, whether it comes to timing a market or any of these kinds of concepts that people have, where it's, you're not predicting anything, you're just allowing the known factors to tell you what's good and what's not good. Yeah. That was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. So yeah, we've got uh, we've got a couple of huge uh, conversions. We've got one for sure going to happen. Uh, we've got another one that's uh, just on the fence, going through that due diligence process. We found some issues that needed to be addressed. And again, these are things that we, you know we had to get boots on the ground, and you know we walk through these we, we buildings. We three. Which uh, so we've got we've got here Midwest East Coast. 
Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, we got three conversions. So under contract, yeah, whether yeah. we go through with them. Exactly. The, the third one uh, that I just thought of, we just barely got it. It's very preliminary. Yeah, yeah. It's under contract, though. One on the East Coast, yeah, that one's that one's definitely, it would maybe easier, though, <laughs> than, our, yes. than our other two we've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, being more of a shell, but um, yeah, so we're going through the process of getting those squared away and getting those done, uh, but the, the really... The huge thing that I want people to know and understand on the development side is to expect that long tail end, you know, talking to engineers and going through some of this stuff, especially right now with as busy as things are. I don't know what point in time you guys might be listening to this podcast, but right now, uh, materials are backed up. There's a huge demand for materials. There's not a ton of supply. And that is causing a huge issue in a lot of different sectors of the development world and construction world. And on top of that, there's an unprecedented amount of building going on. So there's massive demand, but hardly any supply. And that's pushing things out incredibly far for any projects. Even I was talking to some surveyors today, and I mean, they were three weeks out to being able to I mean, we've only got, you know, a certain amount of time to be able to do due diligence on these properties and different things that we've got. And they're several weeks out on being able to even get boots on the ground and do their survey. And then they're multiple several weeks out again for any of the deliverables that they actually get and can send to us. And this is a common theme that we're running into the entitlement processes with a lot of cities where you're going through and rezoning or annexing or doing any of this other stuff, doing your uh, design reviews. This stuff is taking months Forever. and months and months. You're talking six months to go through yeah. some of these processes in some of these cities. And that's something that in, in your underwriting and everything else, you know, time is money when it comes down to a lot of that stuff. And uh, that's absolutely something that you've got to account for and put into your planning. Yes. I think that when you're looking at this, like Connor's talking about, these very, this, exactly what he said, we're talking about these variables that come in and we're at a time where, so, um, I started investing in self-storage, the first boom, right? So pre-08 went through that, kept investing, went through the crash, invested even more. And there was one thing that I've noticed through these ups and downs, doesn't matter, which, you know, people that are like, yeah, we've been through it. You know, we've been through COVID. Okay. If you were in self-storage, there was no recession during COVID. It was such a blip, right? Because the government immediately came in and took care of it. It was, it may have been scary for the first little bit for investors and builders, but it, it wasn't anything. There was no actual contraction in in the sector at all. Mm-hmm. It was propped up through uh, the government. And when you look at it, or the contraction was very slight and it only affected areas that were already, there were other problems such as overbuilt markets. But right now today, we, literally months later, months later, and we're still technically in the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. It's the hottest, highest occupancy, highest revenue storage has ever been at because the government's spending trillions of dollars. And the economy grew at Mm 6.4%. So it's not like the last correction we had. 
And being through the ups and downs, the aftermath, seeing government intervention, how consumers react to that, I want to talk a little bit about that because this includes the variables. The variables are how your consumers are reacting within given circumstances, how that affects demand, pricing, the associated revenue that you can charge, combined with acquisition cost, entry to market, and cost of like labor and materials to either build or buy. You're, 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 all these things are being inputs. Um, and really, I'm going to boil it down here just a bit to really one thing. And what? Okay, I'll give it two things. And other than that, two things that <laughs> two you need steps. to worry about it, right? Two, two things. And uh, like I say, I say this all the time. If you get these two things right, you can screw everything else. But I, you got to talk about this because we have to be analyzing these inputs. Um, during the uh, after the recession, during the recession and after the recession, there it was very clear you do not build. The reason it was clear you do not build was twofold. Demand had just evaporated, first of all. Um, so you would be putting new inventory on a market that already had a lot of inventory. Um, that was most of the markets, except if you, there was always exceptions to the rules. And yeah, if you're in downtown New York, okay, maybe there was no vacancy, whatever, right? But we're talking about in general in the United States. There was a lot of vacancy that was hitting the market. We were picking up storage facilities at 55%, you know, occupancy. Um, so the reason, though, was not only was there supply, so there was no reason to put new supply on the market because the odds of it filling up in three years was very little, but the cost to enter into the self-storage game was less acquiring than it was buying a facility, or excuse me, building a facility. So you could acquire a facility less than you could build it for. Mm -hmm. That's very, very clear on which way you should go. Exactly. The market is just telling you. Right. Here it is. Yeah. Here's the answer, regardless of what happens in the future. Like, it just doesn't even matter. You're buying it at a 10 cap currently in the worst economic crisis of the history of the United States. <laughs> no one's building. No one's going to be building for years because banks won't even do it, even if you wanted to. So there is no future supply coming. You're already getting a good deal today at what you're paying, and your money's getting a fantastic return. And most of the operators were either not doing a good job or they had other problems, so you could even get better deals. Now, the reason I bring that is not to be like, oh, either remember the good times or anything. It's to understand that sometimes the marketplace is not even, it's just really queer, uh, really clear. And when you look at how the market's working right now, it's not really clear for a few reasons. One of the reasons is your replacement cost combined with your acquisition cost. So in order for me to build right now, in a lot of areas, I'm building not less than I'm buying for, but significantly less. Now, that should seem like a no-brainer. Well, then, of course, if you're going to pay twice as much, you might as well build. But it's not that simple. We're also in a time when there's more supply of self-storage than there's ever been in the nation's history by magnitudes. And it's only getting more and more crazy. I actually, I had just emailed uh, one of the cities that we're in this morning because we found out, so we've got a facility that's 140,000 square feet, huge facility. Huge. And 
just, with expansion room that we're expanding. Right, right. And this is in a market that has 30 square feet per capita, close yeah. to it. And, L- low uh, population density. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's farm fields next to us. Exactly. And so we've been aware of a development that's going on just right across the street from us. On the side of our facility. Exactly. It's literally right next door. And we've been aware of that. And uh, the potential there is, you know, 100,000 or more plus square feet. And we found out that uh, just across the other street, just in the other direction, west of our facility, is another proposed development going on, which is another uh, 200,000 square feet because they're doing, they're proposing they're doing storage and industrial. And uh, that effectively would put close to 400,000 square feet, well, just over 400,000 square feet, almost half a million square feet of storage right next door to each other in this area that is just... There's farm fields. Farm fields, and yeah, it's getting developed, but but you know what? Like, I'd be really curious to see what increase, percentage of increase of, of square footage on the market that that would be, just in that three to five mile. Oh, it's got to be... I mean, 50% increase. Oh, at least. Yeah. Which you cannot do. Yeah. Or you should not do. Yeah. Because there's so, no way to... And one of the reasons, like, when you look at that, what Connor's saying, when you look at the square footage, and this is how we develop, like, I don't deal in unknowns. So I know that I could probably supply a market with a certain percentage, and we can actually look at fill-up rates, we can look at movement, and we can say, okay, we can chart out how much this will fill up. If you're building... Um, if you're building 400,000 square feet in a market that has 800,000 square feet, you are in, you are increasing supply by 50%. I don't care who you are. You don't know if it'll fill up. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can analyze that. You have no idea if there's actual demand for it because it's so untested and it's so much Mm -hmm. compared to what demand is right now. Well, and like you're saying, going off of those knowns. Yeah, there's potential to expand, and there is some current expansion and growth going on in that area in regards to uh, single-family homes and and subdivisions, things like that. But again, it's like it's all based on this. When that gets done, then there will be a future, dude. Which who knows? That's just gambling at that point. Exactly, that could change tomorrow. And that's one of the biggest things that you got to talk about when we're developing. The point is, you're not gambling. That's Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it's, you yep. can't be doing that. It doesn't make sense. Um, it, w- once again, we saw this in 2008. Um, the people that got hurt, all the storage owners that got hurt in 2008 were people that were in overbuilt markets. They had just developed and they could not fill up after that point. Stabilized good facilities, though, rode right through the recession. Mm-hmm. They rode right through it. It makes total sense. And when you look <laughs> at these overbuilt markets and when you look at things, we, my our big question on building um, versus buying is that, all right, at prices, and, and I'm trying to, first of all, I'm giving you guys, I'm going to give you the remedies for this. We're not, this isn't a doom and gloom because you also got to remember, I talk about the negatives. Mm-hmm. So you can address them. If you're listening to somebody and they're giving you a fluffy, don't worry, self-storage is recession-proof. And don't worry, it's so simple. There's no toilets. They're selling you something or they're full (laughs) of crap. So don't listen to them. Um, When you are looking at building out a business model, we don't build 
businesses, we don't invest in, it's okay, it's recession resistant, it's okay, there's no toilets, it'll be fine, it's so easy. Now, that's not a business strategy. That's um, hoping and praying, which I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I love hope. I love yeah, pray, but it's name. not a strategy. Uh, <laughs> so when I'm looking, though, at buying, and this, is, and this is the part that everyone, we're all looking at it. Everybody. You should be not. If I have to buy something that is at the highest rates that market's ever seen, they're selling it at a five cap. And there's inventory now coming on the market because it's coming everywhere. For me, I look at that and go, there's only one way to go. It's down unless everything goes perfect. Now, that line right there encapsules this entire discussion. If you are plotting out and underwriting facilities that is the future needs to keep going as it's going today, you should walk away. Mm-hmm. When we're looking at building, I'm looking at today's demand to fill up what currently exists and not all demand. So this is important too. Not all occupancy is created equal. Now, when I'm looking at a market, there has to be so much demand that I could say I could add on 100,000 square feet into this market and that still wouldn't take care of today's demand. The reason being is a certain segment of self-storage is transitional. And this is, if any of you have listened to this, I've talked about this before. Not all occupancy is the same. Base occupancy, transitional occupancy, okay? Transitional occupancy is short-term rentals that are transitioning that do not need long-term stay. This is primarily driven by moving, now, this transitional, right, occupancy and your core occupancy, as I'm going to call it, um, your core occupancy is stable tenants long term. Your transitional occupancy, you want to turn into it. But right now, a huge portion of the occupancy that's on the market is transitional because so many people are moving. The housing market is booming. Space is hard to find. People are, there's just lots going on, right? You see that when you have a, when the economy heats up, people do things. It's velocity of money, capital's trading, moving around. When the economy slows down, you have a contraction in capital. The capital contracts, the velocity of money slows down, people stop moving, people start doing stuff. That transitional occupancy can evaporate really quickly. I look at it like this, and when I'm looking at it, we have inflation. We do. Don't. What? I know. I know. I know. That <laughs> six, four percent, unemployment's dropping. You, I mean, the cost of everything is just flying up. How does the government combat inflation and these massive rise in prices, stock market bubbles, housing costs that are rising in some locations? Like we, we have a city where we live, housing prices rose 47% in one year. Which is insane. Ludicrous. Insane. So when you have these things that are going on, how the government does and should do, this is their point, this is the idea of monetary policy, they, they will contract money supply themselves. They do this through rising interest rates. Because of COVID, 
right? The same thing that happened after 9-11. They're afraid of a recession. They kept it going down low, right? Now, I am not a central bank. I'm not a central planner. If I was doing it, we should just not have anything at all locked down at all and start letting interest rates rates naturally go. But it doesn't matter what I do. So (laughs) the point being, though, as interest rates rise, what slows down? Housing. So when I look at that occupancy, I need, and I'm going to put on a certain amount, or I'm buying a storage facility. If I'm looking around, like we just had recently, there was facilities in town, and there was more coming on board, and they were all hovering around 88% occupancy. And this was in spring. So I'm like, okay, well, that means that your true core occupancy is somewhere around 80 or lower. Um, If the movement stopped, there is a compounding effect of the vacancy that's already on the market plus coming on the market, which causes downward spiral and rates, discounts, all that. That's what you're trying to avoid. And so if you're saying this will work out because people will keep moving, people will keep it, and by the time it's done, there will be this great population here. Um, that is gambling. And, that's, and so when I'm looking at a market, I don't need things to go perfect, right? I look at it and say, everyone is so full that even if we lost 10% occupancy, like demand in this market, we'd still be okay, mm-hmm. right? We could still actually, we could we could supply 10 plus percent occupancy onto this market and we would still do great. Um, that's what I'm looking for. So the demand is not all equal. Occupancy is not all equal. And when I'm building, I'm looking for true demand, not future demand, only today. When I'm looking at acquiring, I am looking at demand today and all the new things that are going to come in that will negatively impact at these super high price that you may be buying for. Now, how we offset these things and how, how we take care of these things. So at the end of the day here, do I buy or do I build? Well, buying's expensive, building's expensive. There's lots of building going on. Prices are high. So we're going to limit it down to my two things that are just demand, like we're talking about. Demand, 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 right? Now, demand also equates, when we're looking at this, into um, revenue obtained. So one of the aspects of demand is rising rental rate prices. And today, to build and to, to buy, you need to be able to charge more. You need to be able to get those revenues up. Um, so I'm looking at a high rental rate that's coming out of there, and especially important when you build, because building costs are, are, are so high right now. I'm only building in markets where I can achieve very high rental rates and has super high demand. Now, the next part of that, so we have demand, which in turn, revenue, um, that's, I mean, that just solves all problems. And the next is, I kind of, you kind of put it all into one, but it's really cost, but it's, I'm talking about strategy. So the execution part of the plan. Now, just focus on those two things, because if you can identify those, you can figure out the other problem, you'll be fine. But when I'm looking right now and we come in and we're looking at a market to say, time frame, buildings takes three years, what's the current demand at versus acquiring? Am I acquiring too high? How I solve the acquiring, I'm looking for value add. I'm looking for the upside that is already existing in the market. We talk about this a lot. Not future, not hopes, not prayers. Identifiable existing levels of um, revenue goals, achieving rents, different things like that, that are currently right now being obtained. That spread is what I'm looking for. 
um, then the cap rate is meaningless. And that's how I look at it. I'm only looking for the money on the table, right? So if I'm paying, which I have no problem, I'll pay for, I'll pay for a zero cap. If the upside, if, if I know that there, there's a, um, that there's an achievable, achievable metric here that we're outlining and looking that is so undervalued and it needs to value add that we can increase revenues by 30%. Well, who cares? Right. So now if I'm buying a five cap at the top of the market on on an asset that doesn't even need to be efficiently run, but there is no evidence that I'm going to be able to achieve significantly higher due to demand or due to asking price for the revenues in the market, then I'm not buying it because then you have one way to go and that's down. Now, it's super important. We have markets where we were looking at because the growth rates were phenomenal. So we went and looked at this market and all of a sudden three facilities popped up that were for sale in this market that was very small. It wasn't a thing. It was growing. It was a subset market. Found out they found out another facility was buying. As we keep diving into our due diligence like we do, all these facilities were at like 88, 87% occupancy. And they were building another 150,000 square feet in the market. And so what did, what did the three main facilities in town do? We're going to put it up for sale. Whoever buys those, they're buying a falling knife. It's going to come. Mm-hmm. And, and two, people will buy those. They'll buy them. Oh, 100%. Yeah, they'll be gone. Yep. Um, and so you're trying to avoid all those. And that's without any slowdown. Like that market is solely dependent on, ma- on growth. And it's not even being filled up currently. So when you're looking at when you're looking at the market to decide should I buy or should I build, what is the current demand? What is the cost to build or enter into that market through acquisition? Now, two, there's also the system that you may not have an it, it may not even be a choice, which is a lot of people are worried about today, with the tax increases that are coming and 1031 exchanges. Like, is the inventory to buy going to dramatically shrink over the next few years because of increasing cap gains and hits on 1031 exchange so they can't roll out of their money? Um, So you may be at a point where you're like, well, I can't really buy in where I'm wanting to. And that may, may say, well, okay, well, now I'm going to look at building more. And then what is the cost associated with that? So it, there's also circumstances circumstances that don't allow you to. Now, I can combat that a million ways saying build relationships, find it, even at the top of the market, we're still finding tremendous value add deals right now today. That comes down to this market fluctuation of what you should do at different levels. I buy good deals, down markets, up markets, that doesn't matter. We don't time markets. But my money tells me if I should be buying it or building it. We are building ground up a bunch, conversions, and we're buying. It doesn't, the strategy isn't what's appropriate today. The strategy is, will it work in this market at this spot, at this cost? What is the demand? And what revenue goals can I, can, can I achieve from that? That's the only thing you should be working on. And you need to be able to look at these, analyze them, and eliminate them quickly. Very quickly, or else you're going to spend all your time looking at a million deals. So I always look and try to find the most important ones and then move down from there. What's the market doing? How's it look? What's the square footage on the market? And then that square footage, how's it being utilized? Right there is always the go or no go, right? And the go just means go to the next 
next thing. Now I'm looking at where can I, you know, how much am I buying it for? Is it, should I even be buying this asset? But the no-go right there is an automatic no-go to all of the above, developing, conversion, buying. So if you can, if you can make sure you just clear out that one thing right there, your life will become a lot easier. And if you get green lights across the board on that, now you have options. And then you can start looking at strategies within that market. Now, if something pops up and you're going to look at it for sell, I immediately, without even looking at the asset, the first thing we look at is the market. We just go, boop, pop it in. Because they're building so much and there's so much going on right now, that's just really important. Because I do not bet on future upside, but I do bet on future downside. So if there's lots of people moving into the market, I don't bet on that to make me. But... If there's new storage facilities coming into the market, I definitely bet on that breaking me. So I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll walk away from those kind of deals. Now, the subject is not, we talked, I talked about this the first, it's not linear, right? It, this is a dynamic conversation. It is complex and it's individually based. You have to think micro and there isn't one right answer. If somebody tells you, you shouldn't be developing today, why not? Should you be buying bad assets at the highest price we've ever seen them with inventory coming in all around? Maybe that guy's getting out because he knows something you don't, right? And people that say you shouldn't be buying right now. Once again, why not? Mm -hmm. Right? And, and I hear this a lot and it frustrates me. You know, they're like, oh, you shouldn't be getting into the market today. And I'm like, well, do you think it'll be better in 10 years? Right. Like, do you think that you're going to get a cheaper price in four years? Or the person that buys it is going to regret it. That's just not how markets work. Mm -hmm. I, and I went through this. I didn't regret buying in 2004 and 5. I didn't regret buying in 06. I didn't regret buying in 09, 010, 012. I didn't regret any period of times. And those periods of times, and I didn't regret buying two years ago or four years ago. Right, I'm not regretting what I'm buying today. It's it just you, you cannot look at it from the, that lens that so many investors want to look at, and that's that timing phase. Focus micro, focus demand and revenues, cash flows. Right, what can you do to improve and stabilize that? And then you're just all looking at that supply in the market to understand the risk and the risk mm -hmm. scenario. Give yourself room to fail, and at the end of the day, that's really it. If you give yourself room to fail by making sure there's high demands, increasing market revenues, stabilization points in those revenues that can be very successful that you can achieve through upgrades. You've built it in. Crush you it. Crush it. Yeah. Go for it. No, it's such a good point too, where you have those, those things like people say, yeah, don't get into the market. It's, it's terrible. And in those things where it's like, you have those generalizations about an entire market it, that's a huge pitfall for so many people, I feel like, because they do hear that and they're like, oh yeah, cell storage is no good. Well, and just like you pointed out, it's it's such a micro thing in, in, in so many different assets in, in realms of investing. It's not a market generalization. If you're generalizing anything, it's a total misrepresentation of of where the actual real potential and value is in, in lays. Just because yeah. it's it generally uh, this way or that way doesn't mean that you have to play in that realm 
yeah. in that asset class. I just think that's and, a and, huge And I have a pitfall. really good small adva- example to show on this that really illustrates this well that I think a lot of real estate investors will be able to relate to. But before I do, I want to get to our sponsors. First, Janus International with their Noki product. Guys, we're talking about should you build, should you buy all this? It's all about that micro. How are you going to upgrade? What what are the consumers getting in the market? What are they paying? What do they want? How do you how do you give a value presentation to them? Um, there's a lot changing in storage, and Janus International is at the forefront. We know them from their doors, which are amazing, and they're building, right? But two, their technology, their no-key system, which we have at our facilities and all our new facilities that are being built. Um, you got to check them out. They're in the show notes. Go down there. You can click on them. Tell them we sent you. Tell them you heard AJ talking about you. And go see what they're doing. Retrofits. Okay, mm-hmm. So even if you buy an existing facility, they have the ability to retrofit this technology on. Yep. It's, it's called it's their awesome. R3 program. That's right. So it's, I can't remember what the three R's stand for. I'm, I'm going to butcher it if I even try. Uh, sorry, Janice. But um, no, they have their R3 program, which they go in, and it's essentially a rehab program for existing facilities. If you want to upgrade doors, integrate no-key, mm-hmm. all these different aspects of bringing a facility up to the standard of today for storage facilities. It's not like how they used to be at all. Uh, and uh, you definitely should opt to have a Class A facility that you can have great tenants in and charge the best possible rates you can. And uh, they have phenomenal solutions. Again, in the show notes, check them out. And uh, speaking of all this stuff, you might need to finance your purchases, your construction, any of this stuff we're talking about. And Live Oak Bank is another one of our sponsors. And as you guys might have heard before, they have some insane SBA program incentives going on right now. Uh, Just for one example, uh, from February 1st to September 30th of this year, 2021, the SBA will make six months of your uh, P&I payments for you up to $9,000 a month, which is pretty sick. You guys need to definitely check that out if you're looking at getting an SBA or you're just looking at just getting conventional financing for a, a purchase of a facility or you're wanting to do any kind of construction loans, any of that kind of stuff. The people at Live Oak Bank are the people you want to talk to. Uh, Terry Campbell is a fantastic guy over there and does great work. These guys know storage. They've been in the storage industry for decades. That's another great thing about whether it's Live Oak Bank or it's Janus International. I mean, you sit down with these guys, uh, you know, at dinner, you know, sitting down in the office, going over plans or whatever it is. And these guys have been in the industry for so long that they look at something and they immediately know if something's a good idea, a bad idea, how you can optimize something, how you can get a better deal, how you can do this, how you can do that. These guys know storage from top to bottom, in and out. And uh, we couldn't recommend better people outside of Janice and, and Live Oak. Really great folks. Get out there, get after them. And uh, yeah, like I just saying, let them know that uh, we sent you over there and it helps us out, helps them out. And um, I know we've gotten really good feedback from Live Oak and uh, all our sponsors and even a lot of people we've had on the podcast that we do a lot of work with saying, man, we've had a really good outcome. A lot of people reaching out to us from your, your just your podcast. And it's uh, it's been really cool. So if you guys are looking at loans, hit up Live Oak Bank. You're looking at funding, financing, get after them and uh, make stuff happen. So on another note here, back to what I was saying, um, a perfect example of the focusing not on the I I guess the talking heads on television about markets and which way they'll go because nobody knows Um, and focusing on the micro, it comes down to that group think when we got, when we started out, um, 
we didn't get, I wanted to get into real estate. We didn't get into housing. We didn't get into multifamily. That's where everybody was going because the numbers didn't make sense. All I was doing is looking at a cash flow basis micro. We could buy these storage facilities, which nobody wanted at the time, for really high <laughs> cap rates. Um, so we were getting up 10, 12 cap rates. That just made cash flow sense. And then we kind of got out of the market around whatever it was. So five, maybe early part of 06. And just because numbers didn't really make that much sense, we have no idea what was going on and got back into it. When we got back into it, I was literally told, like, dude, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, wait till the next crash comes. And that is that opinion of I'm going to wait till the next crash. We all know people like it used it. Do you remember when, like, it was really, really hot, like, five years ago, plus, and everybody was like, yeah, don't buy a house. Buying houses for suckers, right? And now everybody is trying to buy houses, and everybody wants to get into a home. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't. But they can't. And they're now paying high pri- prices that were double than when they should have actually been buying, when there was inventory, they could have got what they wanted. Yep. And at the end of the day, and that happened to me, when I bought my first home, I was like, oh, or not first of all, my second home I was building. I was like, I was one in in our area that has whatever, 800,000 people. I was building my house. I was one of three houses in the entire area that was being built. <laughs> That's wild. Isn't that crazy? About. Yeah. And guess what? They did it in three months. They, from like. They built the entire house in three months. From like site work to. Yep. Done. Because they had crews there around the clock. (laughs) And people were working. And and I had people like, like we would literally show up 10 o'clock at night. There's just lights all over uh, inside the house. You could see people walking around because they were just, you know, had work to do. And I had people that were like, what are you doing? Dude, we're in a real estate crisis and you're building? They're like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, listen, the land, right? We got from somebody that was bankrupt. We can build at these low prices, and we got this incredible, nice home that was perfect the way we wanted it. I go, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to time markets. This is a discount compared to what I earn, what I can get for it, and fits my family's lifestyle. So I'm making good micro choices, right? I'm not going to let CNBC, this real estate <laughs> exactly. guy, tell me yep. what I can do. I need to analyze this individual market, my personal life, right, and do it. And that's how I look at every deal that we look at. Um Especially when you're starting out, it can get really scary when you find somebody that's super smart and tells you, this is not the time to get into the market. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I don't know because you don't know. I would suggest you getting people that tell you information on how to find risk and upside and analyzing it yourself and learning what makes a good deal and not a good deal. That's what I hope that this podcast is providing for you. Not cheap imitations of we know what's going to happen, we know what's going to not, but giving you tools that you can use to make good financially sound deals and execute when other people don't see opportunity and build a thriving com- uh, company not for one year, not for two years, but for decades down the road. You think micro, right? So I move micro. 
sorry, excuse me, my um, actions are micro, but I think macro. I'm always mm-hmm. looking interest rates, what's happening in the markets, everything else like that. But we act micro. I'm looking individual lands, very small markets. What is occupancies here? We're getting into the really nitty and gritty. And that's how you should look at it. So the big macro ideas, don't let them pollute your micro and understand that sometimes it may be better to build. It may be better to buy given on the market and what's happening. And if you're being told, oh, you got to get into it to offset uh, inflation, but then you're buying in a town that has three that are up for sale and they're all under 88% occupancy and there's new ones being built. Just because somebody said that that's going to be a great investment, you got to own it real estate because of inflation doesn't mean you're going to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a perfect example. And yeah. I, I wanted to touch on too. I really like the idea that back before 08, 09, all that stuff was going on when we had that recession, you were looking at multifamily, single family, all these asset classes and the th- it just wasn't working. The numbers weren't yeah. working. And I wanted to point out just that, that flexibility and that adaptability to go outside of that and say, okay, well, that doesn't work. What else works? Mm-hmm. I, I really love the aspe- that, that aspect that you guys actually did that instead of just saying, well, no, multifamily is how I make money. That's how I'm yeah. a real estate investor. That's yeah. how I do this and how I do that, especially with a lot of the narratives that a lot of us can get caught up in where there's only one way to do it. Yeah. Right. And, and that's just not true. No. Like this not. is self-storage income. I am the self-storage guy. I wrote a freaking book on it. I love self-storage. <laughs> when the numbers stop working, I'm not yeah. going to do it. Right. I don't care. Exactly. I, I'm here to make money. I'm here to make good decisions. I'll go into other asset class. That doesn't bother me at all. But still, right now, I'm not buying an apartment complex. I'm yes. Not, no yeah, way. I mean, it's crazy. And there's just not as much opportunity in any other commercial real estate asset class Well, okay, that's not entirely true. Um, There are, but that I can execute on. Mm -hmm. Perfect example is if you want to get into hotels, now might be a great time to do it, right? Well, and again, it it just goes back to this fundamental principle. If you know and understand what you're investing in and you can can execute on that. And and again, a good deal is always a freaking good deal. A good deal is a good deal. Period. Yep. If you meet that criteria and it's a great deal, it doesn't matter what the stock market is doing. It doesn't matter yeah. what the economy is doing. Yep. A good deal a is a good, good deal. A good deal is a good deal. I love it, man. So, hey, everybody. I hope this helped. Um, I should, We, we got to tell you, actually, too. So, um, we haven't even officially rolled out our self-storage income. I talked about it, I think. Did we talk about it on the podcast yet? You can go to selfstorageincome.com forward slash events. Uh, we're already halfway full. And we haven't even, I don't even, th- nothing's even live. We're not marketing it. I'm not doing anything. And we're like, <laughs> no, it's like, uh, what? So, should we just not say anything? Like, about it? I know. It, it, we're kind of going, I, I yeah. told them, everybody's like, we don't even have the agenda filled out and everything yet. We do have our speakers that are going to be coming, um, different things like that. It's going to be in Coeur d'Alene. It's going to be amazing. We have uh, Sunset Cruise. It's on the lake, the world famous golf course, thing like that. But uh, it's really important to me that my podcast listeners, you guys, the people that are in, self-storage income in our, in our educational ecosystem, so to speak. I don't even know how to say it, that us, all of us self-storage incomers, that we get the first shot at it, that you guys get it. We do have our discount thing for first time people, but I do need to tell you in two weeks, we will be fully marketing it. So, and once the seats are gone, they're gone. So you guys go get it, sign up for it. Um, we already have, 
Uh, we have six storage facility owners that are um, the largest storage facility owner um, privately in the world, plus other ones that are that are very, very large. They're excited. They're excited to be there. So we can be networking and then our speakers are going to be awesome. Uh, it's not going to be like any other storage event where we're not. It, yeah. I, I think, what did I say? It's not going to be like any other storage event because most storage events suck. So that's, yeah, like, something that's like the that. goal. Yeah. yeah. Something like yeah. that. So we're trying to make this fun. We're trying to make this be outside just the normal month mundane kind of thing we're, yeah, we're doing not, cool stuff it's gonna be awesome not gonna be in a motel six any of that kind of stuff that's right yeah it's we'll gonna be, be nice it'll be uh coeur d'alene idaho september 29th through uh october 1st and uh it's gonna be epic again this is gonna be a lot more of an exclusive event for you guys to be able to come in meet some incredible people have some incredible uh, opportunities and uh insights into the industry and really just dive deep into a huge amount of value. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be epic to see so many of you guys there. Again, save those dates. It's going to be uh, September 29th, October 1st. That's what it's going to be. So it's going to be awesome. Check it out. Again, that's uh, selfstorageincome.com forward slash events. And you guys can uh, get some more information there and pre-register. All right, guys. Hey, thanks, everybody. And we'll talk more soon. 